Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, that's great. I completely forgot what I was going to say. Ah, should I'm sitting here all set to go and then I'm going, what? Am I going to say? Uh, it happens sometimes on a Monday. Good morning. Happy St. Valentine's Day. Did you know he was a martyr? And they used to say that how he died was he was hung upside down. That's what they used to say about St. Valentine. Yeah, I know. And remember we were talking last week about the fact that some of his um, remains, some of his, uh, what's the lovely word they use, relics, are in Dublin. Well, there's relics all over the world. There was bits of them everywhere. Apparently, I'll give you a list later on about where his relics are. They're all over the world. But happy St. Valentine's Day to you and yours. And we'll have some stuff going on about that during the day. Like, uh, if you want a romantic walk, it's a beautiful sunny morning. If you want to go for a romantic walk, like, where would you go around Cork? Actually, if you ever had a disastrous Valentine's Day, one where it went just horrifically wrong, and then maybe right at the same time, I want that story. I'll tell you mine later. Okay, my one is probably the. It's true. That's all I'll tell you, and she'll verify it to this day. The Valentine's. So, if your Valentine's Day went horrendously wrong at any point, give us a call. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Also venturing to West Cork, where there's talk of the closure of an early intervention centre at a time when we need more of them. They're talking about actually closing one uh, down in West Cork. And I don't know if you saw Tommy Tiernan on Saturday night. Jimmy White was the most incredible interview, but then I'd be into that stuff, wouldn't I? But um, Charlene McKenna was on with Tommy as well uh, and talking about her mental health. Well, I've been talking to a man, a local man here, who's going through a really rough time at the moment and he's been really frank and really candid with me about going through that time and how hard it's been day to day. All that is to come. But first of all, there is an incredible amount of money has been raised 
for these two lovely elderly people who were robbed uh, early yesterday morning. Moraid Tuig will bring us up to speed. Moraid, for those of us, as the fellow said, who were taking a weekend off and weren't keeping in touch, what happened to them? Who are they? Good morning. Yes, so uh, good morning to you, PJ. Yeah, you're right. So you just mentioned there about the GoFundMe, well over 12,000 euro raise now. See, I suppose to give a, a bit of a background, so Gardaí have... Uh, launched a witness appeal. There was a burglary, an aggravated burglary at a house in the Corona Broher area of Cork City yesterday morning. So this happened on Boyce's Street um, uh, shortly after half seven yesterday morning. A man in his 70s and a woman in her 80s. Now these, uh, the, the man and woman are siblings. Uh, Jerry O'Halloran, he's 79, and his 83-year-old sister Mary, they were threatened by a male intruder at knife point in the course of this aggravated burglary at the house on Boyce's Street. It's on the north side of the city in Grona Broher, as I said, and the thief fled the scene on foot with, with a sum of cash. Now, the pensioners were treated at the scene by paramedics. Their injuries not life-threatening, but they were left shaken by this incident, as you can imagine. Mm. And um, so what happened was uh, Mary arrived to her brother's house and she came upon the scene as this was happening. Now, they were taken to the Mercy Hospital in Cork and par- Paramedics Keith Harrington and Sean Healy, they decided to set up this GoFundMe page uh, for the siblings. So they wanted to do it to financially assist the, the these siblings in the wake of this incident. So what they say in the in the, the fundraiser is uh, they they have a life saving stolen at knife point is what it's what it's labelled on GoFundMe. And they wanted to set it up to return some of the life savings which were stolen during this burglary mm. in the home. And as I say, PJ, well over 12,000 euro. Like there's a 2,000 euro goal. I'm just looking at the GoFundMe here. Mm. And, and 12,396 euro has been raised so far. Mm. So it's amazing. And the, the generosity of people... It, people is fantastic and well done to those two paramedics for, for going and setting it up it's it's fascinating to see how the GoFundMe has taken off because I was only looking at it more right around half seven and there was just under 10,000 in it and it's gone up now to nearly 12,400 and it's going to go up again I think as we speak uh, it's just, just a terrible thing Absolutely. to happen, they don't live together do they, one was visiting the mm-hmm. other Yes, yeah, so so Mary was visiting her brother Jerry, and she arrived as this incident was happening. So you can imagine how how frightening it was to arrive and, and realize that her brother was you know being being held by a male intruder. And um and as I say that the male intruder left the scene with a sum of cash. And and what we see now is these paramedics saying you know this is this uh, elderly uh, siblings some of their life savings and they just want to to return some of this money and they describe it you know deeply traumatized by their experience you can just imagine how frightening it is and uh, and it's just it's it's lovely to to see the the community come together and try and return some of this cash and now i suppose gardi as well we must mention are, are looking you know for information witnesses they want to speak to anyone so if you are in the vicinity of Boyce Street or neighbouring streets in the Gronobroher area between 6.30am and 9am yesterday morning if you witnessed anything at all you know no matter how small or irrelevant you think it might be come to the Gardaí and let them know they also want any road users with video footage you know you could have a dash cam in your car um, if you're in the Gronobroher area between those times make it available to the Gardaí you can go to Gronobroher Garda station uh, their number is 021 
0818-104-94600. You can go to the Guard the Confidential line or any Guard the station at all. They'll share that information to the investigating Gardaí and, and hopefully this, this uh, intruder will be caught and, and punished for what they've done. Okay, Maureen, thank you for that and we hope they're okay. Uh, Jerry and Mary, we'll come back to this story uh, during the morning. We've shared the GoFundMe link on our Twitter. Uh, it currently sits at 12,396. Actually, it's not. It's 12, wow. It's 12,641. There's actually been three or 400 quid added while myself and Maureen were speaking. So let's keep this going. Let's see what we can do for these two lovely people, Jerry O'Halloran and his sister Mary, 79 and 83 years of age. Let's see what can be done. 0818 96 96 96. Now, on a brighter note, Brian, did it go well? I presume she said yes. Good morning. Uh, hello. How are you doing? What happened? Uh, we went, uh, well, I had this plan for weeks. Right. I went out to the Silver Key Bear on Mahindo, and uh, I got the bear staff and the manager to... Helped me out. Suppose uh, I gave the chef the ring, right. and he came out. He came out Saturday night then with a rose and a plate saying, "Will you marry me?" Right. All the bear staff, all the bear staff, and everything were involved. Like so, she was shocked. I'd say but, yeah, she was. Said, what was her name? She said, yeah. hey, Laura. Actually. Laura. And how long are you uh, going out together, Brian? About uh, four years now. Right. Okay. Okay. So she was shocked. She still be shaking like but. <laughs> She she had no idea, like. Uh, she no. Well, she knew I was going to ask, but she didn't know when or where, like, uh, how I was going to do it, like. But yeah. she she kind of had a fair idea, but she didn't, as I said, like where or when. She had no idea, like so. Right. Right. Our so, small little doctor was uh, giving up ideas and saying what the room looked like and everything, like I so. See. I, I had the kids involved as well, like so. <laughs> So, so was was it just a meal of the two of you, or was there a few people there? Yeah, I know there was just the two of us, like right, so, right, and all the staff, and, uh, and all the staff was involved, and the managers and everything. And they just like to say thank you to uh, the bells, the staff in Silver Key. Sure, me out. Who brought out the ring? You, did you give it? You give uh, the bell staff brought it out. Right, uh, and on the place, and uh, the chef had the little kind of writing on. Uh, in chocolate sauce and everything on the plate. I see, I see. And when when is the big day? I presume that's is that planned? <laughs> no, we don't have that planned yet. <laughs> <laughs> Who picked the ring out? By the way, did you go get it yourself, or did someone come with you? you... No, I picked it up myself. Good man, good man. Glad you had it all planned, didn't you? I know. <laughs> I was written over myself, like by the bear staff and all. Kind of. As we said, like, if it wasn't for the bear staff and the managers, I wouldn't know what to do. And would you be a regular in there, like? Well, uh, we go there, we go there once in a blue moon, like. I we see. Be, we I wouldn't see. be local. We wouldn't be local, as right. you call it, like. Right. 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 right, right, How did you, how did you, you said four or five years, how did you meet? Uh, through, uh, through, uh, the one apps. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it was an online an online date, was it? Online thing, yeah. Crikey. Thank you. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, you hear more and more people meeting online these days, and it sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't, but you guys have definitely oh, worked out. That's yeah, good. and she, we're happy together. Like, we even got a, 
we even have a child together and stuff, so oh, happy out. Ah, sure, listen, good for you. Good for you, good for you. All right, listen, congratulations to Brian. She's not there, yeah. is she, by any chance, is she? Uh, no, well, she probably listened to the radio in college, like, so. All right, well, say what you want to say now. Say, go on. <laughs> Just like to say I love you loads and uh, happy Valentine's Day. There you are. All right, you've done it, Brian. Brian and Laura, their big proposal on Saturday night at Silver Key. Uh, if you have a story like that, uh, let us let us know at 0818 96 96 96. No, I, I, maybe I, sound, I shouldn't sound so surprised that so many people meet online these days. It, it kind of is the thing. Personally, it wouldn't be for me. Do you know what I mean? But it is the way these days. So many people meet online. 081. Well, did you read that story last, last week in the paper where we have something like... Uh, about a twenty percent or less, ten percent of the nightclubs we once had in 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 the and that's all been closed for the last two years. So you know why wouldn't people meet online? I guess get with the times, please. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine in. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26 to 28. Only on Cork's 96 FM. So if anybody wants to try and match or beat Brian and Laura's story, uh, do feel free. 0818 96 96 96. And then there's the ones that didn't go quite so well. <laughs> she texted everyone on my phone. Cost me 700 euro. Oh my God. <laughs> More of those two to 083 396 96 96. Interestingly enough, do you know who declared St. Valentine's Day an official holiday and gave it official recognition? Do you know who it was? It was a man who had six wives, one died, one lived, he divorced two, and he beheaded two more. Henry VIII was the man who officially declared February 14th. St. Valentine's Day, declared it a holiday in 1537. We have a few more of those during the morning. 0818 96 96 96. So they're laughing at me in here about, I don't know this, and I mean, listen, take it down another road if you want. People who actually met online and the whole thing succeeded, we, obviously we've got Brian and Laura, and I know Ken in Cove, who I've spoken to before, Ken and his missus met online and it all worked out I still have this idea that you could be meeting an axe murderer like you've no idea who you're meeting if you meet someone cold off the online then again as Fiona said to me you don't know who you're meeting in a pub yeah but you have some chance to get out the side door if you're there do you know what I mean anyway two other things you'll remember I read this out last week and we said we'd try and follow up on it this is a caller 
um, who was talking to a woman of, her words, let me say, advanced years, uh, who takes great comfort, as many people do, in visiting the Holy Trinity Church on a regular basis. But these days is no longer going in there because she's afraid of heroin addicts or she's afraid of walking on a needle, getting an infection. And the person who called us had gone in there themselves to see and the place was littered with spoons and needles and wrappers and tinfoil and other sorts of paraphernalia. And look, they're addicted, the people who do this. It's a health condition to some extent. But the caller was wondering, is there an addict listening or is there someone who works with addicts listening who might ask them to stay out of the churches? Because this friend is feeling isolated and has lost, if you like, that little outlet in their day. They're afraid now to go to the Holy Trinity Church for fear of something happening to them after finding all that paraphernalia in the church. And the chances are there are other places too, possibly even other churches. So we thought about it and we were wondering how would we follow up on this and we said one man who'd know and probably know the scene very well would be an old friend of the show, Bernard O'Hare. Bernard, we brought this to your attention and I think you can identify with what our caller is saying. Oh, absolutely and I totally kind of uh, agree with the, with the email that you received you know, um, it was good of the woman to emphasise, you know, the sickness of the addiction. Mm. But in desperation, I suppose she's reaching out to people who may know addicts or who work with addicts to ask them to sort of stay away from the churches. Yeah. You know, um, that's due to this lady, been an old lady feeling isolated because that's her place of worship, PJ, you know. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's the only one um, out there that is affected by that, Just not just by... I suppose not being able to go to church, but staying away from different areas and businesses, etc., mm. because of this, you know. I mean, it's there right slap bang in the city centre. Uh, we know that that area, there are many people with addictions. And I suppose sometimes they're just going out of the cold and the wet. Oh, the, absolutely, yeah. Like, I mean, Peter, the, what's not looked at is the, the fact that uh, it, come, it doesn't come into play or come into mind whereby. You know, um, oh, I best not go into this because it's a church. Or I best not go in here because it's a doorway of a business. You know, mm. that's not the first concern. Same way as, unfortunately, and uh, I suppose people look at it in different ways, but unfortunately, the thought for cleaning up after yourselves or after shooting up isn't there. You know, the the experts would tell us that in that moment you just don't care. First of all, you don't care where you do it. You need to do it. You got to do it now. You can't wait another second. Maybe shelter might be the only thing you look for. And then afterwards, yeah. well, you know, you don't even think. No, because I mean, I've seen this myself, been through the homeless system and, you know, going through the hostels um, years ago and then through, I suppose, the voluntary sector and witnessed countless amounts of people um, shooting up and, you know, they'd zone out for a couple of minutes or whatever and then off they go. You know, it's like, you know, you could be, I've seen people sitting in doorways where, they're surrounded by needles and they're surrounded by the, the paraphernalia that's handed out, you know, that they're using to inject and up they just get and off they're gone down the road, you know. 
And it says it, it is a sad fact, like, but it's people always say, "Ah, why can't you clean up after yourself?" And I get that. We all get that. That I suppose the principle and the idea of cleaning up after oneself in that regard, but it just doesn't happen. Yeah, in that moment, you don't you don't think you're not capable of thinking. No, no, and I mean we 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 we've seen so many of the best of the best people, um, both male and female, big hearts. They've you know despite their um surroundings and their circumstances and they just they're so they succumb to this stuff this is what it's doing you know but like uh, in regards to the email as well though pj i mean you know yeah you have to have compassion and empathy and understanding or a must in order to try and you know understand i suppose the mind frame of an addict but and, and again i was a drug addict myself so what i'm going to say is not a judgment or thinking i'm better than anyone but it, it's a bare fact that it's grossly overlooked and that's like victims of crime and the vic- the people who are on the other side of this too, which needs to be talked about and discussed, I think, in order to sort of find a way forward, a solution as such, you know. Do any of the voluntary groups that, that work with addicts, do they ever say to them, look, would you think about cleaning up after yourself or is it even worth having that conversation when, when someone is in, is lucid enough to listen? I've no doubt, I've no doubt about it. It's a very, uh, I won't say taboo, that's the wrong word, but it's a very difficult situation um, to sort of approach someone in the, wherever you may find them, be it in, in, you know, churches or doorways or businesses or whatever, and say to them, you know, oh, do not clean up there after yourself, because you're more concerned with, are they safe after injecting? Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, health-wise, are you okay? Um, and if they say, yeah, I'll say, well, why, turn on their own and clean yourself or clean up after yourself, it it, it almost creates, a, a, I suppose, a, a difficult situation. You know, you could turn around and you could have a piece of situation where you're talking to someone in that spot, but then if you suggest something like that, you're like, do you, you know yourself what could come next? Yeah, you do. You know, I mean, in one way, what you're supposed to do there, and I suppose in any sector, really, never mind just the voluntary sectors, when you're, it's it's words of encouragement, not, not, not put-downs, Yeah, you know? Does does it further build the case, Bernard, and we've all talked about it many times, does it further build the case for an actual place for people to go? I I actually believe that it does, and I'm actually pro-injection uh, centres, and I'll tell you why. Um, obviously, first and foremost, and it's not against the general public, but first and foremost is the safety of, of the addict is paramount, but... I think people have a lot of a misconception about what will go on and what will happen in and around the the. It's just say, for instance, now there was a an injection centre there in the city in the morning. I think people haven't got much clarity around how it would work. Yeah, I was watching some videos on it myself only last night, just to sort of have a you know a better understanding too. And from the ones I've seen, especially in Canada, there in America. Um, you know that no one's ever died in any of the injection centres. Um, it's a safe and supporting environment. You know, there's clean needles, properly safety and safety disposed of, whereby you're going to reverse overdoses, reduction in diseases, reduction in discarded sort of like drug paraphernalia. Mm. You know, plus it cuts down on the kind of distressing site that's meeting our correspondent here, the person who got onto us. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, and it's a very valid concern. Again, PJ, I think you pointed it out perfectly there a second ago that I think by having these conversations, we can work towards actually maybe looking at the injection centres because I, I think that 
been honest about it, people feel like they're not been listened to and yes we're talking again about the compassion and understanding for the addict but at the same time just people there with genuine concerns um, you know all women having to stay out of masses uh, people taking the long way around on the, on the usual journey because it's now become a black spot mm. do you know so I think that if we actually had a proper debate to talk about it then it might actually go somewhat towards alleviating the problem because that's exactly what it is. It's a massive problem. Sometimes we have to have the uncomfortable conversation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at it there now, I mean, it's in community centres, it's, it's you know, playgrounds, it's it's in housing estates, it's, it's all over the place, mm. you know, and we can't keep kind of like standing around scratching our heads and wondering why it's got so bad and what we can do about it. And then, the other side to it too is look at all the all the people who are um, overdosing. I mean, during the last few years, you know, we always talked about this before, yeah. Richard, but yeah. um, even the lads that I would have known, like I didn't know friends myself when I came to Cork, was starting off and like Leon and you know lads like that had tragically passed away since. And you just look, you talk to their families and their their, their kids who you know grew up without parents. Because mm. of this stuff, and yeah. there's just I, I I believe as well there's so many different positive ways uh, that an injection center could bring about. But yeah. like a homeless hostel and like everything else, we see the problem there. But the problem then starts with right, we want it sorted, but I'm not having it in my area. Yeah, you know it has to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, if you know if you look at if you're more concerned, like with the amount of people in the area, then maybe consider looking at the possibility of the injection centre. Yeah. But again, that will come through sitting down and dialogue and talking to people and hearing both sides of it. Bernard, whenever you're on, people always want me to ask you, how are you doing yourself these days? Ah, I'm okay. I, I, I wasn't in a great place there for a while, you know. Yeah. Um, that slip I had there last year caused me a lot more problems than I would have liked, I suppose. And then... Just mm. the, I suppose the mental health aspect wasn't too great lately. So, but look, I keep trying, and you know, I know, I know there's help there. It's there's no shame in it. It's difficult, but look, it's it's there. You're still able to put two feet on the floor in the morning, and any day you can do that's a good day, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely, and as well, just as I said just before we go, we're at and PJ that. And whereas that concern from that email is a genuine concern. Yeah. And I'm not asking people to, to look past their morals, if that's the right word or whatever, when, when they're thinking about injection centres or whatever. Just think about the families and, and, and the kids of those who have died from overdoses. And yeah. I think that if we work together that we can lessen the, the burden as such on all of us. You know, Bernard, as always, mate, look after yourself. You too. Take care of yourself. Bernard O'Hare, a good friend of the show. Um, he reminded me to tell you of the man we spoke to a few weeks ago um, on the programme. If you should find discarded needles anywhere, and I'm assuming the back of a church would be just uh, as important a place to tell him about as anywhere else. His name is Frank Horgan, and uh, he can be contacted anytime, and his team can be contacted on 086 025 5410. Uh, Frank Horgan, 086-025-5410. If you find drug paraphernalia anywhere, do not attempt to touch it or remove it yourself. But Frank and his team can help. Gillian, will you hold on for me for exactly two minutes? I'll take a break and come back to work. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Ballinhasig AFC will be hosting a fundraising table quiz on Saturday the 19th of February at the Ramble Inn in Ballinhasig at 8.30pm. There'll be lots of great prizes to be won on the night and all are welcome to attend. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Corks 96fm. Right, Gillian, your testament that online dating does work. Good morning. It does. Hi, how are you? Good. Tell me um, your story. In 2020, 2010, um, I tried a bit of online dating and a few disaster dates. And then I've this guy messaged me and he just said, you know, hi, whatever, my name is Tom. And then we got chatting and we exchanged phone numbers quite quick and we got on really, really well from the off. And we had our first date about two weeks later. And we're going strong ever since. On the 29th of February 2016, as he was doing wash-up, I walked into the kitchen, got down one knee and said, will you marry me? And he said, I suppose. Um, <laughs> well, I suppose he says. I suppose, yeah. Oh, typically go, cork, like oh, typically cork. Well, he's a Waterford man, so that's his only downfall. But anyway, ah. <laughs> but um, I when I said, um, oh my god, can I ring my mom? He was like, you're actually serious. <laughs> but we got married a year later anyway, and we have two kids and Brilliant. our my our my daughter. If I like so, we've an eight-year-old and a nearly three-year-old. Fantastic. But so, you know at the time when you were on dating online, like, were, were you not half afraid going into a date? What, is this person going to be anything like what I've been seeing on my phone or my computer? Sure, it could be anyone, like. Well, yeah, but I mean, then it was easier to um, kind of block them and, yeah, yeah. you know, and just yeah. say, like, It worked out, it, though, didn't it? It worked out, and... Tom was the name, is it? Tom, yeah. So how will you celebrate today? Oh, will you? Um, well, I suppose I'll cook dinner and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> like every other day, so I suppose. It's like every other day. Like, <laughs> we were not into the big romantic gestures. Like, <laughs> we're happy out and we've had enough stuff throwing at us in life that we just... Good. You know, yeah, so I love. I love the. Me, I love the proposal story, though. I do. Like, I will, know. Will, will, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I suppose. <laughs> well, <Jillian. yeah. laughs> well, it works. It works. Good. Good on you, Gillian. Thanks very much for that. Good luck to yourself and Tom, and the family. Oh, it's at oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Um, yeah, look. Look, it is the way of the world. I would just be afraid, do you know? If online dating, you say, oh, that, that looks fabulous. And you get the man, picture and that looks great, brilliant. I suppose maybe I'm watching one or two many documentaries about how it all goes horribly wrong for people. Seems to be going very right for those, for, for Gillian and Tom and was it Brian and, and Laura. It went very well. Come here, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of euros to give away with... The Cash Cow on Cork's 96FM in association with Mahan Point. You can catch a movie, explore over 60 stores and shop till the cows come home on Thursdays and Fridays. More deeds on mahanpointsc.ie. Thousands and thousands of euro. The lads started it off this morning. They gave you the password. No, I'm not going to tell you again. But I'm looking for you to play after 
11. Is it after 11 or after 10? <laughs> I'll have to figure out after 11. We're looking to, tell, to play after 11 today. Another couple of hundred euro to give away. Or it could be a couple of thousand. You'd never know. All right. Cash cow on Cork's 96 of M. Coming up again after 11 o'clock this morning. 0818 96 96 96. Right. To kill Britain. And at a time when we're constantly hearing on this programme and others about the need for more early intervention services for kids. Hey, what's up? They're closing one. Susan O'Leary. Susan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is down in Kilbritton Way. Your little fella's name is down for September, but... That's right, big but. Um, yeah, so we have a place for him, um, but they're intending to close the class, the early intervention class that is in Kilbritton National School. Um, so I got a phone call last week to say, oh, we would have had a place for your son, but um, they're closing it at the end of this academic year. So, I mean... And who, sorry, whose decision? Is it the school's decision or whose decision? No, um, the NCSE, the National Council for Special Education, PJ, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I suppose the reasoning behind that is there a no funding, supposedly. Um, it's nothing to do with um, numbers. I suppose they have capacity for six in the early intervention class out there. Um, and there's three on the list already for September. But, I mean, you know and I know that with, with, with COVID and with the backlog, there's a lot more diagnosis to come for families yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the demand is going to go through the roof for that mm-hmm. unit, for that class alone. Um, and they just want to close it. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking for, for us and for other families of the area that need this service mm-hmm. and this facility for our children. Um, I suppose, you know, it's just psychologists have written to the um, council to say that this closing this class will have a detrimental effect on our children and it's still falling on deaf ears. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I'm moreover in a rural area like Kilbritton. I mean, mm. these these units are, they're like hen's teeth anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now I suppose, like even to give you like the first cla- the, the cl- classes out there, the AST classes first was to 2012. And then the early un- the early intervention class was set up in 2019. So it's only been set up in, in recent terms. Like they're not even giving it a chance, even though the numbers and the demand are there, um, which I can't understand. I mean, even recently, the board of management out there have built a new play area costing, you know, 40,000 euro plus, mm. um, especially for or the early intervention class and the AST classes um, and that's work that they've done um, and even the, the teacher in the, in, the, in the class itself has just undertaken a master's specifically in this area um, so they have the best of facilities, they have the best of teachers um, and out they there and they still it. yes exactly wow. Yeah, the, the, the want is there and the interest is there in our children more importantly and they, you know, they're going to close it. So it's just, I suppose, it's it's fathoming really how where the justification is 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 far as you know, it's just really is. We, we've sent an email uh, to the mm-hmm. NCSE, and if we get a yeah. response, we'll we'll come back to you with it. But they do, yeah. they make these Brilliant. kind of decisions, and unfortunately, no matter how much the school wants to do it, no matter how much the parents need it to be done, no matter how much facility is there, once the NCSE makes a decision. And I, I speak from experience here. It's almost impossible mm. to change their minds. 
Yeah. yeah, and that that's 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 the hardest bit of it. I think you know you just get told that this is happening. There's and it's it's made from the top. It's not made on the ground. We're all left kind of just sinking away. Then as usual, trying to fight for our children from the get go. Yeah. Um, and it's just I mean locally we have we have nothing else close to us. Yeah, like where will um, you send to, him to, you if know? if if you can't get him into this place? Where will you send him? So we've we've already had to go to Carrigline um, for his first year um, in September since September. So we we, we travel to Carrigline every morning and, after, and afternoon to collect him. Um, so I'm not sure whether that would even be available next year. Um, and otherwise, um, I believe Clan Clilty, but it's now full, um, the class out there. And then after that, I believe it's Skibbereen, PJ. So abandoned to Skibbereen. Like, it's the local, it's just crazy. How, how know, far is the drive from Kilbritton to Carrigaline? I would say it's at least 40 minutes, is it? Yeah, yeah, round trip, yeah, round, one way and then on the way back again. Yeah, 40 minutes plus, depending on, you know, the back road to Belligarvin can be, can be, you can get oh, stuck behind a nice yes. big truck there as it well. It can someday, be flooded so half the year, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's not, it's just, you know, it's just really hard it's really hard for us all, for everyone and even I suppose going forward like for my son it's it's currently now but this will affect everyone down the line whether it's your son your daughter your grandchild your best friend's child you know like it's not just for now it's for the future for the area because if it closes it'll never reopen we all know that and yes. it's just awful to think of that for, for families that will need it down the line you know yeah. any political help down that way with you Yes, yeah. Um, I've reached out to Michael Collins, um, TD here, and he he's on on the case for us. Hopefully, as well, um, trying to get as much backing behind us as we can, um, which is great to get some little bit of of uh, support, I suppose. Anyway, in our in our fight, um, and just see how it goes. Really, after that, um, I thought he's going to bring it to the joil and, and that kind of thing to see whether okay. we can have any at all movement at all. Okay, Susan, listen. I wish you well. I hope it works out, and and that we have, as I said, we've sent an email to the NCSE asking them a number of questions we haven't yet had a response but if and when we do uh, we'll bring it to listeners thank you for that that's Susan O'Leary Kilbritton the school wants to do it the school is putting in the facilities the board of management is only too happy to keep this little class going but the National Council for Special Education has decided it must close they blame funding National Council for Special Education must must says it must close, even though the board of the Brothers of Charity psychologists have written, saying it's not the right thing to do. The school are more than happy to keep it going. Makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. At a time when we need more of these little classes, more of these little units, here we have one being shut down, and the nearest one to this family. It's a 40-minute drive away. Five mornings a week and collect them five afternoons a week. In 2022. Anne Buckley, Nurse Anne Buckley, congratulations to you. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you very much. Thank you, you for having me on. Delighted to have you on. You, you've won a very prestigious title. Uh, <laughs> the Beyond Incredible Patient Care. You, you, you really are... Tell me, tell me about baby Nell, first of all, and, and how you came to, to work with her. Okay, so I work in the neonatal intensive care unit and where we are premature babies, there's one in ten born. Every baby that's one in ten is premature. So Nell would have been one of our little precious babies who was born at 640 grams. And that would be around normal for a 24-week uh, baby. So she came into our unit and... Um, 
from there on, she was there for at least four months. Um, so she would have needed she would have needed a lot of support initially. She would have needed a ventilator to take over the care from her lungs. Uh, she would have needed full full um, uh, t- parental nutrition. Um, she would have needed uh, a lot of medication. So she would have had a lot of intervention in the early days and gradually, um, I suppose, uh, become competent in breathing and feeding, etc., and then go home at about four months old. Yeah, and she did, and she went home, and she's thriving. She did. She did. She's thriving. She's a gorgeous little baby. I saw a picture for her Christmas, but we have no... Um, Unfortunately, due to COVID, before the babies, when they came back to the outpatient department, they popped down to see us. We would have also had um, a World Prematurity Day every year where we have a coffee morning where our parents come back with our little babies and show them off to us. So, unfortunately, I haven't seen Nell since she left the hospital, which is a pity. Now, it was her family who nominated you and and the point you made is, God, they have enough to do without Mm. doing that. Um, you were surprised um, that they did oh, that? Oh, I couldn't believe. With You know, uh, they have another little child as well and they're very busy and it's such a traumatic time to be in the neonatal unit and I'm sure once they leave it, they're delighted to say goodbye to it. Um, so I was completely overwhelmed that um, Elaine would have gone to the trouble of writing and that she thought that much about the unit and about me as a nurse. Um, it just was a fantastic surprise. I heard Christmas week... I didn't know that this Water Wipes um, Award existed. I had never heard anything about it. So it was completely out of the blue that I heard about it. So it was fantastic. You must love the work. It's very dedicated work, isn't it? It is, and I do love it. And I love the babies, and I love the families. And it is a very privileged um, area to work in, you know, because we're with babies that are so vulnerable, and we're with parents who are equally vulnerable at a very vulnerable time in their lives. Um, and they have to trust us. And that's a difficult thing to do. And, you know, your constant support to the baby and to the parents. Um, so, yeah, I do. I absolutely love it. And I love seeing them thrive. I love to see them as they get a little bit older in that. Yeah, um, yeah it is. It's incredible. It's the Pure Foundation Fund, and it was a, a cash prize. So you intend to use the money for the for, well, the, for the kids? Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, um, there is a new there is a new family room that's been built or um, got ready. So maybe it might go towards something for the parents. They can make a cup of tea and have their lunch. Also, I'm passionate about developmental care. You know, protecting these little babies that shouldn't be born yet and so it might go towards some positioning aids and some some um, education for the younger staff in that area so yeah there's lots of there's lots of ways we will use that money it was a fantastic bursary to get from water wipes yeah. um, they also support uh, the neonatal health alliance the milestone cards water wipes do and they're they're um, fantastic you know the, the all the little milestones to mark them is um is so important to our parents and to our babies as they get older to read when they were able to breathe on their own when they were able to well, breathe well, and well, Annie, cost. <laughs> you know your own role is key because without people like you uh, with little babies like Nell 
you know, you increase their chances uh, and the work that you do. And I've no doubt when people hear the name Anne Buckley from from the Mercy Hospital, or big bigger pardon from, from CUH, CUMH, when when people hear the name Anne Buckley from CUMH, they're going to ring up and they're going to tell me stories of how you intervened in their lives. Oh, thanks very much. I know much, they are. Um, I just Keith, know yeah, they are. And it's a it's a team effort. Like I work with a, a wonderful group of of professionals, and we have lots of different. It's a multidisciplinary team. So thank you, PJ, for that. Um, right. and, and, yeah. and and congratulations to you and the team, and the team. But uh, she's the the face of it. She's won the Pure Foundation Fund from Waterwipes for Beyond Incredible Patient Care at CUMH and €2,500 for the, for the hospital, which she wants to put into increasing the facilities and helping out the babies and their parents. We have a statement from Kilbritton National School. I'll, I'll bring that to you uh, after the news. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Well, that statement from the school in Britain, I propose to hold on to it now for a little while, but just suffice to say that they are determined to keep the unit open. They just need the support of the NCSE in doing so. And they are very disappointed with the decision. That's the school in Kilbritton. So I'll come back to that. 0818 96 96 96. But I've been speaking with a very, very brave young man. A man called Mark Ryan. He's from Cove. He's been on the programme before. Mark has a a long-term illness, and I remember talking to him about that uh, not very long ago. But Mark uh, has been having a very, very tough time with his mental health uh, since the back end of 2021. And he took the brave step recently of posting about it on his social media. And then he took the even braver step of agreeing to speak to the opinion line about what he has been going through. Mark, you've been on the programme before um, talking about various things, including your your long-term illness, and I think we talked about getting vaccinated and all that kind of thing. Um, You've been having a rough old time of it. I have, yeah. Um, Back in November, I had a a, a bit of a... I had a, a mental breakdown and I was suffering with severe depression and severe anxiety um, to the point where I literally just broke down in tears to my mother and said that I can't go on I, I 
can't continue. It's too difficult. Um, and I need help. Mm. How long had it been going on for before that moment came? And, and forgive me for this very stupid question. What does a breakdown feel like? Uh, it feels like yeah, every emotion was extremely heightened. I just, I just, I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, I had been feeling quite stressed and anxious for a while, um, and I had been feeling very depressed. Um, it was actually my my. 30th birthday on the 7th of November mm. and on the uh, kind of weeks coming up to that um, this was kind of, I know 30 is young but um, kind of any kind of milestone birthday we tend to kind of evaluate where we are in life and what we've achieved and what we're looking forward to um, and as you mentioned like I, I have a, a long term illness um, which uh, I struggle with on a day-to-day basis um, and it just left me in a position where I was kind of stressing about what what is in my life going forward um, and it, it just there was a lot of things that kind of really hit me that I hadn't thought of before things that I won't be able to do in my life um, and for weeks I was getting very stressed and depressed about it and then the week after my birthday I it just all came to a front and I, I that's when I I had called to a friend's house and we were talking and next minute I felt like as if the room was closing in on me and I was finding it difficult to breathe and um at first I thought it was my, my, my breathing condition that was wrong with me mm. and so uh, I had my oxygen machine with me and I turned it up and I, had, and I just felt, no, I didn't feel comfortable and everything felt wrong. And I just, I, I had thoughts of self-harm and suicide mm. and I said I must go home and I went straight home to my mother and I was in tears and I said, Mom, I, I, I can't go on, I can't keep doing this Um I, I need help. Uh, that was one of the bravest things you've ever done in your life, I imagine. Uh, it, it It's hard to believe that it would be one of the hardest things to, to say because we're a very close family and I, I can talk to my mother about pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I have spoken to her about everything and anything in the past and but I found it so difficult to just say I need help, and I, I partly because I was embarrassed about the way I felt, um, but also because the feelings of depression and self harm had got so strong. I thought it would be easier to just act on them mm-hmm. than to ask for help and to deal with what was going on in my head. And um, so it was, uh, I sat at my mother in tears before I even for about kind of 20 minutes before I even said I need help did did your mum have any sense that this had been been coming she she did Um, I I have for for weeks before that I 
I just hadn't been myself. I was um, struggling to sleep because I, I, I couldn't turn off my thoughts at night time. So I was looking more and more shattered as the days were going on. Um, I, I was finding it difficult to concentrate on anything. Um, so like I, I made conversation, I drift off into my own world and kind of have to mark you yeah, come back to us there a second um, and it was just so she knew that I, I wasn't myself um, and she had kept asking me all along are you okay is everything okay and I just yeah and grand and grand and I just kind of dismiss it um, but this day I, I just I I was frightened by the thoughts I was having and I didn't want to continue with the way my, my, my brain was. You said to me before, when we were talking about your illness and the pandemic, like sometimes you would get very bothered about the effect that the illness has on your life. But, but that this was beyond that. Yeah, it was like I, I was diagnosed in 2017 uh, with methemoglobinemia. So my red blood cells don't carry oxygen around my body um, properly so where the average person has a blood oxygen level of kind of 95% to 100% my daily average is kind of about 88% and and then if I overexert it could drop to the low 80s which is most doctors will tell you that that's quite worrying that's um, emergency room stuff it is yeah, yeah you, you live so, in that reality that must, yeah. that must bring its own stresses Mark it does. I, I, I have to give up work because uh, like I'm on an oxygen machine and most of the time, so 18 hours a day I'm on it. Um, I've, physically, I'm quite restricted because if I overexert myself, I burn off the oxygen faster than I can get it back into my system so my blood oxygen levels drop. So I had to give up work. I had to... There was just a lot of things that I had mm. to stop and a lot of things in my future that I'd no longer be able to do. Um, and I thought at the time I had dealt with that and I'd accepted it and I was, I just got on with it. I said, look, you just, there's no point in moping about and just continue on and Anytime I kind of spoke to anyone about it, they'd always say, geez, you've a great attitude. How are you um, not letting it affect you? And if you, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. But I genuinely thought I had it dealt with yeah. in my own. Yeah. You were also very fearful, of course, because if you got COVID with that condition, you were, you wouldn't last five minutes. Yeah, I'd been contacted by my GP back in oh, when did COVID break that was March 2020 um, and he had phoned me and said look I'm not trying to frighten you but just think for your own safety you'd be better off isolating for a couple of weeks till this blows over and um, we all thought it would blow over in a couple of weeks and as we all know it didn't blow over and so like my my lockdown lasted uh, 18 months and I managed to get vaccinated um, and that they were terrifying months. Is it any wonder that you were stressed out to the nines? So you broke down your mum was there um, yeah. and you said I need help Yeah. and what happened then? 
she brought me to the doctor and she said that, like I said, I, I can talk to my mother about anything. We're a very close family, but she knew that this was more than just a conversation. This was, so she brought me to my GP and we went in and I told them exactly how I'm feeling and the thoughts that I was having. And um, he asked me some questions and we went through a few things and he said, okay, he says, you were severely depressed. And he said, I'm quite concerned about the thoughts you're having. So I'm going to refer you on to the HSE's um, East Cork um, mental health crisis team. Um, and I'll, I'll red flag it as a, an emergency situation. And um, he said, so go home. And he says, rest. And he told my mother, he says, not to leave me out for sight. And uh, so we went home and I thought, okay, HSE waiting list, this could go on a while. I, and I, d- I don't know what I'm going to do. And what were, yeah, what was going through your mind? You must have been very frightened, were you? I was petrified because I didn't want to be having the thoughts I was having. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was embarrassed because I always thought that I controlled my thoughts, not my thoughts controlling me. And it was very much my thoughts controlling me. Um, and like I said, the, 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 the feeling of depression and the, the, the thoughts of self-harm were so severe I, I thought it might just be easier to act and then oh, than to God. wait around and get help. You heard back faster than you thought you would. The following morning I got a phone call from the HSE's East Cork mental health crisis team um, and they gave me a same day appointment called straight into them and luckily enough they're actually based here in Cove where I live so it was I didn't have to travel far for it Um so mother brought me out and I went in and I had an initial assessment um, and they said, okay, yeah, you, you, you need help. And they put together a plan for, um, basically it was counselling, but I, I went to them on a daily basis and um, I was highly impressed with the service if I'm to be honest with you. It was, mm. I didn't realise that the service was there and yeah. it was available to people. Was it a counsellor, therapist you went to see, was it? Um, they have, there's a, a medical doctor on the team who I saw once a week and then every other day I met the therapist um, and I just spoke through everything with her um, and she went through coping techniques and she went through um, identifying um, anxiety attacks before they happen and she went through everything that I was feeling sad and anxious and angry about and we we spoke in detail about lots of things. Um, The doctor um, started me on a course of antidepressants um, How did you feel about that when they recommended medicine? Um, the the medicine was recommended actually on day one, but 
what they said is they asked me, am I allergic to any medications? And I had to tell them that, so with my methemoglobinemia, I can't have any medicines that contain nitrates. So they said, we'll actually have to go and do a bit of research. Um, so it was a couple of weeks before I, I actually started on anything. So by the time they were got back with an answer for me, um, I was a couple of weeks into therapy and the, the thoughts of self-harm had began to stop and I still was feeling very depressed. So at that stage, I suppose, thanks to the therapy, I, I was of the attitude that I would do anything that would give me help. So when they sa- said that they had a, some medications that I could use, and um, would I be willing to take them? I said yes. Mm-hmm. Now, how are you now? This is November, December. Three, nearly three months later. Yeah, I had the daily appointments with the team out there up until just before Christmas um, when they were happy with the fact that the thoughts of self-harm had stopped and they said to me that they were referring me they, they were discharging me from the crisis team's care because the crisis team only deal with people who were in danger of self-harm. Um, and they said they were going to discharge me to the um, the general uh, mental health team that are also based out there um, onto the, the doctor and psychologist. Um, so I left them I just before Christmas to uh, to be put on the list with the the general um mental health team out there. Uh, at this stage I guess my my, my thought of self harm had stopped but I was still feeling very depressed and I, I did feel that my anxiety was getting worse. Mm. Um and at the end of January um, I was having very bad uh, anxiety attacks, two to three a day. Um, and I said to mum, I says, I, I don't know, can I, it, it's getting worse. I don't know, I'm, I'm doing, using the techniques they told me to use and and it, I, I just can't. And like, it was just uh, constantly, I had this feeling that the room was closing in on me. It was kind of background noises were heightened and I was sweating profusely my heart was pounding and I was just in pure panic How are you now as we speak? I know you're struggling with the conversation and really appreciate you doing this How are you feeling? Today has been a good day Um, I suppose last week was the first week in in months when I had positive thoughts of the future Um, I was actually in the shower one day and I was having you know shower thoughts where you get lost in your thoughts and Mm. you you forget you're standing there and mother actually knocked on the bathroom door and asked was I okay I said yeah and grand why and she says you've been there for an hour and a half (laughs) and I I had I um that I was so happy to be having positive thoughts I just left my brain wander and I didn't even notice the time passed by um, so I, I, I'm beginning to get there I, I feel the medication is helping the the, the um, therapy was, was, was a help 
Um, they've taught me that, look, I'm going to be on this medication for a while. Um, so it's, and that, look, it's, there's, there's no magic fix for this. It's not you take tablets and suddenly you're better. Mm-hmm. So they said, look, there's a, there is a long road ahead, but um, I'm back to the, the, um, the consultant um, in the, the mental health team on the 15th of March. I still have days where I feel like crap mm. and I still get quite anxious. Um, I don't feel like myself still. I, I find it hard to get enjoyment out of anything that I'm doing. Mm. Um, even if I'm sat with friends and we're having a laugh and it's like, oh, I better laugh because everyone else is laughing. I, I can't, I, I just, at the moment, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not happy, mm. but I'm, I'm much happier than I was. You're uh, putting one foot in front of the other, as it were. Yeah. Um, thank you for doing this. Look after yourself, okay? And, you. and, and I hope that the road back to recovery isn't as long as you feared. Thank you. Great fellow. Uh, Mark Ryan, thanks for doing that, Mark. It took a lot out of him, uh, that interview, but he was uh, brave enough to do it. 0818 96 96 96. A new book has been published by a man who is the former master of the Rotunda Hospital, one of the most famous hospitals in Ireland, and I believe the oldest maternity hospital still standing, as it were, in the world. His name is Dr. Sam Coulter-Smith. And he joins me. Sam, good morning. Good morning. Rotunda is the oldest uh, still functioning maternity hospital in the world. Yeah, it is. It was founded in in 1745 by Bartholomew Moss and it moved to the current site in 1757. So, yeah, we've been we've been delivering babies and providing um, you know health services to women and their families for 277 years. So it's quite a while. Yeah, your your book is both a personal reflection and a study not just of the maternity hospital system, but indeed of the hospital system in general as we head forward. Just one term, though, before we go on to that, Sam. I always thought it was a bit strange that the master of a, of of a maternity hospital. Very, is it a very ma- very masculine term for effectively a women's hospital? Yeah, you're right about that, and I suppose that is slightly slightly strange. But it's it's a historical thing. It goes it goes back to the to the very start of the of the uh, of the institution, and back at that stage, um, women didn't women weren't doctors. They weren't allowed to to be doctors. They 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 weren't educated. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just to that, to that extent, and um, I mean, clearly in this day and age, that's that's completely daft. Mm. But um, that's that's the way it was back, back then, and mm. it took it took. Well, I think. Uh, Rona Mahoney and Sharon Sheehan have both, right. both been masters of uh, Hollis Street and the Coombe and um, they were the first the first female masters. The Rotunda has yet to have a female master, but that, that could change. Yeah, yeah. So you, it, your, your book brings back a term that I'd almost forgotten, Sam, and that is voluntary hospital. I remember a long time ago there was a group here in Cork called the Cork Voluntary Hospitals Group. So... Yes. Um, outline for listeners... What a voluntary hospital is, how much of our services are delivered in and that we don't realise, and why there's a problem between the voluntary hospitals and the state hospitals. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to highlight this, because it's something that, as I suppose, I, I finished the mastership and the dust settled. There were lots of frustrations that, that I had and things that I sort of wanted to address and for, and hope that people might learn, learn from. And that was the relationship between voluntary hospitals and the the state and to to answer your question voluntary hospitals were set up by well-meaning individuals and groups to provide services to uh, to patients when the state wasn't in a, in a, in, a, in a position to to do so so voluntary hospitals um in many cases predated um services run by the state um, and th- this has been going on in the Rotunda situation for 277 years. Uh, Jervis Street would have been the original uh, voluntary hospital, and that was, I think, that was in the early 1700s, about 30, 40 years prior to the to the Rotunda. So they've been in existence for a long, long time. And the reason they're different is because voluntary hospitals are owned and run by their own board. So they. The oversight, the governance structure of the of the hospital is very close to the coalface. So the board understand what goes on in the in the hospital. They have direct and uh, and statutory obligations to to oversee what goes on both clinically and financially. Whereas hospitals run by the state, currently the HSE hospitals are overseen by by the HSE, which is a much bigger body. It's um, Probably its governance structure is, is such that it's the, the decision making is much further from the coalface, and there, therefore HSE hospitals don't have the same ability to respond and evolve and to change and to adapt um, to crises when when they happen. Yeah, it, it's so more that's frontline a, hospital type, isn't it? Like there's less of a less of a frontline hospital. Yeah, but no, what I mean, Sam, yeah, there's the, less of a red tape, less of a management structure in the voluntary hospitals. They're just about giving care. It's a tighter it's a tighter management structure and it, it means that those hospitals can can respond much more quickly um, to the needs of their patients when, when 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 that happens yeah yeah you talk about what you call the command and control model of, of the HSE which is an interesting way of putting it yeah I mean it, it goes back to the the 
the further away your governance structure is from from the coalface, the more it, it it relies on on financial control. And you know, when the HSE was created, um, shortly after that, we ran into the the biggest recession the country has has hit in living memory. Um, so the control of the health service was more about controlling a budget than providing health care. Now, that's I, I'm I'm not trying to HSE bash here. This is this is just a, a, a matter of fact that that the HSE's job when it came to that recession was to control spending yeah. and control budgets, and that was a big issue because hospitals are all about providing care. Yes, we have to be responsible and and and. Um, look after the the money side of things, but our number one priority is providing care. And in a recession, that's extraordinarily difficult. So, the HSE, you know, by their nature and and their reporting structures are reporting on finances and headcount, you know, up the food chain, up into the higher echelons of the HSE, Department of Health, and ultimately the Department of Finance. Is it a fair suggestion that the HSE perhaps was not designed to be a provider? <laughs> I, I think that's probably a fair suggestion. Um, it, it, I think it's quite complicated and difficult to understand. But one of the faults, I think, with the system that was put in place was that the the, the HSE was both purchaser and provider. And that's probably not a very good model mm. when it comes to, to healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a man about that a number of years ago who subsequently left to, to run a hospital in, in the United States. But he said that. He said HSE, HSE should be either procurer or provider, it cannot be both, and and therein lies its, lies its difficulty. Now, now, Sam, you have concerns, I think, about, or do you have concerns about the plan for Slauncha Care, which we're told will be our NHS? Can it work? I think there are lots and lots of really good suggestions, good ideas, and good proposals within within the Slauncha Care plan. Um, you can't. You couldn't possibly argue with equity of access, better community health care, all those health initiatives. That's really good. I think one of the problems, and I, I'm, I'm hope I hope what people will will understand if they read the book is is that the the voluntary healthcare sector in Ireland has 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 led the health service in Ireland since before the beginning of the state. Yeah, and. All of the national subspecialty centres sit within voluntary hospitals. Most of the academic units, all of the training is organised from voluntary hospitals. They they really are, they set the standards, set the benchmarks, and they do lead the country in terms of of, of healthcare. Hmm. If Care was to be implemented in its current form, the plan is to remove uh, all fee-paying patients from, from, uh, from voluntary hospitals, from uh, publicly funded hospitals. And if that were to happen, then that removes the discretionary funding that voluntary hospitals have, which allows them to be responsive, allows them to adapt and to change and to to to, to roll with the punches when, when 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 things happen. And the health service will be will be the poorer for for that. So yeah. what I'm hoping is that this starts a, a conversation around what voluntary hospitals mean to the country. I, I think the, I think the when Slauncher Care was being was evolving, I, I I honestly don't believe that that everybody who was involved in that really had a very good understanding of how important voluntary hospitals are to to the country, mm. and and I'm and I and that's that's really the message that I'm trying to get across. Well, I guess if we were to drill it down, Sam, for, for listeners in terms of voluntary hospitals, the South Infirmary, 
in Cork, one of our most beloved mm-hmm. hospitals, is a voluntary hospital. And I believe, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe so too is the Mercy. I think that's right, yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I wouldn't be yeah. familiar with the situation so they, in Cork, but two, I know that there's a very strong... Our, they'd be two of our most beloved strong, hospitals, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and if fear, they, you know, and, and, and I fear, I do fear for the future of those institutions if this, if Slauncher Care were to be implemented in its current form. I think there's a way out here. I think, I think there's, I think there's a way forward. It, it's, excuse the pun, throwing the baby out of the bathwater. But as we, as we move forward, I think we've got to take what's good. And, and, and move along with that, but also take all the positives that are within the Slauncher Care Plan. But all, but don't forget that voluntary hospitals have been and, and, and should continue to be the leaders within the healthcare community. And if we want to, if we want to attract the best quality trainees, doctors, nurses, midwives, scientists, so all of the people that we need to provide good good healthcare and to plan good healthcare. If we if we don't. If we, if we don't save the voluntary hospital sector, then I think we'll have trouble attracting uh, world-class staff back to, to our hospitals. And that's and the health service is, is its staff. Without its staff, it's nothing. So all the policies and plans and, and strategies in the world won't be any good if we don't have the staff to run the service. Yeah, I was actually going to go there with you, with you next. We, we clearly have a huge problem in the <coughs> service of retaining, retention of staff, when you look, you just have to look at the huge number of posts that at any one time remain unfilled and a problem with retaining staff and a problem with replacing staff when when staff leave. Do you see any, any solutions to those? I, I think, you know, when you talk about staff in hospitals, well, you, you know, Ireland is in a, an international market. We're competing with other English-speaking countries um, for for our midwives, for our doctors, for our nurses, and and if we don't provide the the environment and the facilities um, to to for for, the, for those people to flourish, then we won't keep them, and we won't attract them back. We, we've we've uh, we've a great culture, and I firmly believe that that going away for a while to to somewhere different to to train to learn. Um, and then come back is 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 a, is a very positive thing to do. But if we don't provide, if we don't see, if we don't have the right environment for people, then they won't come back um, to 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 work in our services. And and you know, we we are heavily reliant on on people doing that, and and that's going to be a problem for us. Okay. Since you uh, stepped down as master of the redundancy, you've gone back into everyday uh, practice as a consultant. Which which do you prefer, Professor? Which, which do I prefer? Yeah. In terms of my day-to-day work. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you prefer being I really, a I mean, or did you prefer just being a doctor? <laughs> to be honest, I enjoyed both. Um, being master was a massive challenge. It's something that uh, I suppose you don't train for. You you move into and you adapt and you learn a huge amount during your seven years. Um, it it's, uh, it takes over your life. So it's a it's a, it's a big job and it's an important job and uh, but it's also exhausting and uh, it takes a lot of a lot of time and energy to do it. So it's a huge honour to have to have done it. And I, I, I suppose as I look back and reflect, it's 
it's what I can now bring in terms of my experience to to the to the table and and hopefully uh, pass on some of that learning to to people who are going to take over from me and learn from me in the future. So. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a bit of both. It's you've all you know you don't you never say the same you change, um, and uh, and I've enjoyed that journey. Lastly, uh, I think the sense that comes from from your book and from talking to you is that in order for us to progress our health service for a twenty first century and beyond, we need to have clinicians. Management need to listen to clinicians, not the other way around. Would I be right? <laughs> I think that's that that's very fair, and, and the, unfortunately, the further away management gets from from the hospital, from the clinical coalface, then the harder it is for clinicians to have to have an input. So that that's why, you know, that the 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 tighter management structure that exists in voluntary hospitals, I think, works very very well. I think the the more distant uh, command and control model that currently within within the HSE hasn't really served us particularly well and needs to evolve and needs to change so that we have a trusted partnership between the voluntaries and and the and the the, the state, whether that's in the form of Slauncher Care or the HSE or the Department of Health or whatever the new incarnation is. Um, voluntary hospitals need to be trusted partners within within that. All right, I'll leave it there because I imagine you have patience to get back to and appreciate your time. Professor Sam Coulter-Smith, former Master of the Rotunda and now back practising um, and uh, the author of a book called Delivering the Future. 0818 96 96 96. It's very much a bit like what Chris Luke was saying to me a few weeks ago when he was on the programme here and the likes of Chris Luke have been saying for a very long time, if you want to run your health service and you want it run properly, Listen to doctors. Listen to nurses. Not the other way around. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Now, I spoke to Rachel English when she wrote her first book, uh, The Paper Bracelet, uh, and... She's got her second book out now, and again, it's a fascinating story about ordinary people to whom extraordinary things happen, and the discovery of long-buried secrets. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. Hopefully you can hear me this time. I can time. hear you this time. I can hear oh, you this time. Relief. <laughs> As I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Paper Bracelets when it was out, uh, and this is a similar kind of a story. Uh, people who thought they had no connection discovering that that they have one and the book tells a story. Yes, it is. It is very much so, I suppose, even though we're talking about very different characters and very different times. Yes, it is. It is about the connection between three women, one in present day West Clare, a young woman called Jessie Daly. Her career as a journalist in Dublin has fallen apart in spectacular fashion. She, she's back at home in West Clare, licking her wounds. And Initially, she she says, you know, she was going to go back to Dublin straight away, get started again. She ran out of her, her hometown when she was 18. But gradually she gets drawn into the story 
of a young woman who lived during the famine years, um, not far from Jesse's own home, in fact, on land owned by Jesse's family. And she gets drawn into the story of this second woman, Bridget Maloney, mm. who, who lived during the famine and who, who really, you know, every day was a struggle to survive. And then the third woman in the story is a woman, young woman in present day Boston in the United States called Caitlin Wilson. And Caitlin, although outwardly a lot more successful and a lot more together than Jesse, because Jesse's a bit of a mess. Um, Caitlin is questioning what she's done with her life, what she's doing with her life in pretty much the same way as Jesse. And she too starts, in her case, she starts to look into her family background and because she's from a big Irish American family but while while they they love being Irish American they don't actually know very much about the people who came before them and about how they came to be in the United States so she sets off then to try and find out more and and gradually the, the three stories come together yeah and and no spoilers here but there's there, there are shocks along the way there are. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's hard to say anything without giving too much away, isn't it? But yes, not not everything is is as it seems initially. And some of the connections between the, the three women may be fairly obvious, but some are less so. And there are, are not everything kind of goes the way you might expect initially. But certainly there are quite a mm. few surprises yeah. for all three of the women along the way. The, the point I was attempting to make, Rachel, is when some people would read a blurb of a book like this, Ah, sure, we all know how that's going to work out. You don't. You don't. <laughs> no, no. There, there, there's not everything goes according to plan. And as as you can imagine as well, trying to, you know, in both the, the case of the, the two present day characters, Caitlin and Jesse, they're both trying to research events of a long time ago. And in one way, I, I suppose the famine years aren't that long ago because we still, you know, we still have the legacy of those years. It's, it's still... It's still easy to find, but in another way, trying to get to the nitty gritty of, of your family detail or to what happened in your own particular area. Well, it's quite a challenge for, for the two of them. And they, they uncover more, I think, in both cases than, than they had initially planned. Rachel, your, your day job, your, your voice is one of the best known in the country, uh, you know, bringing us the hard news of the day. Writing novels, is it an escape or is it just something that you you always loved to do? It is an escape in many ways. Certainly it has been over the past couple of years, because even though parts of this book are quite dark because because of the events that 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 they're centred on. There's also, you know, I, I like to think a fair bit of humour in it as well. And, you know, there, there's sort of, it's a, you know, it's a big story about families. And it was over the past couple of years when, when most of us weren't going very far, couldn't go very far. And when, you know, there was, there was so much to think about. This was for me, writing the letter home was for me a, a bit of an escape. It, it, it sort of brought me to another place and, you know, your head is full of your, the characters that you're making up and it, it's full of the place that you're making up. So in that way, I actually found it very helpful, maybe in the same way that, you know, people resorted to all sorts of things during the depths of the lockdown, be that baking bread or, I don't, you know, painting or whatever. It's, it was just, it was something that, that I found really helpful during those months. Okay, I think people will enjoy it again, like they did the last few books. Rachel English, thank you very much for being us on The Opinion Line. Rachel English, author of The Letter Home. Lovely book.
uh, dark, some dark corners to it, but lovely book and uh, from a natural storyteller. Thanks, Rachel. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Comedian David O'Doherty brings his brand new show, Woe Is Me, to the Everyman stage for two nights, taking place on Friday, March 4th, and Saturday the 5th. Tickets are on sale now from the Everyman box office. Access all areas. Kurt Angle is a 14-time professional wrestling champion with titles collected in WWE, TNA and Japan. The Olympic Hero Tour, an evening with Kurt Angle, comes to Cork Cypress Avenue for a show on April 26th with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.com. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Let me go back to that. Uh, first of all, it was a contact with the programme last week about a person who had seen, or her friend had seen, drug use and drug paraphernalia in the Holy Trinity Church and felt unable to go in there, afraid of what might happen. And we spoke to Bernard O'Hare about that. And he said, yeah, look, he said, we'd much prefer that people tidy up after themselves. But it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It's it's not what happens. And he acknowledged that people feel nervous going around to various parts of the city because of that. And he was making the point that, look, it, it actually strengthens the argument, Bernard was saying, for a designated, properly run, properly supervised injection centre. On the phone, I understand we need to look at the needs and thoughts of addicts to a certain extent, but the focus is all on the drug users, not the people who are terrified of going into a church. I'm afraid of going into shops, never mind churches. Not so much the shops themselves, but I wouldn't move beyond Dunn's, Penny's, Tesco's or Eason's. I'd go to the old Debenhams if it reopened. Beyond that, it's all crazy. You see people tumbling out of shops after robbing them. People tapping you for euros on a bus. We've had enough of people talking about the needs of addicts. We really need a morning of talking to people who won't go down side streets, who won't go into churches, who won't go to the doctor. We're here talking about 10 minutes cork or whatever it is, and people are afraid of even a two-minute cork. Who'd go to the bus station unless they had to? Honestly. And then Michael says, I think the problem with people giving out about drug addicts is we look at the addict's behaviour through our own eyes and not through the eyes of the addict. It's very hard to know what's in an addict's head unless you've been there yourself. There's two contrasting views there. Uh, And maybe the first person... do, Do they have a point? Like, should we talk more about people afraid to go out, afraid to go into churches, afraid to go to shopping centres, afraid to take their old shortcut home for fear of who they'd meet or what they might see? Because they're out there, those people are afraid. They are afraid. And no matter how understanding we are about the plight of the addict, and no one gets up in the morning and decides they want to live like that. Do we talk a bit too much about those people and making life easier for them and understanding them and empathizing with them, all of which we must do? In doing that, 
do we forget the other people who are afraid to go out, afraid to get on the bus for fear they'd be tapped, afraid to go to a shop for fear they'd meet some some queer hawk on their way home? That's a very thoughtful point. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie We've got thousands. 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 And thousands of euro to give away. Moolah, can you milk from the Cork's 96FM cash cow? Get the morning password with Casey and Ross from 6am. Then listen across the day for your chance to play. Play. Take on the Cork's 96FM cash cow. To win Mega Moolah. Win Mega Moolah. With Man Point for fashion, film, food and fun. Don't wait till the cows come home. Get moving to Man Point. See manpointsc.ie only on Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, I got... Well, people looking at me sideways in the first hour this morning when I was talking about online dating and we had a couple of people rang in. Brian met his now fiancé online and then was it Gillian rang in to say how she met her now husband or online and that, you know, pretty much everyone meets online these days and I'm kind of saying, well, I don't know how I would. I would be If I had to go back into the dating game tomorrow, I'm not too sure online would be my thing. Uh, Jennifer Haskins is Introductions Director of Two's Company and she joins me. Jennifer, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. You'll have to excuse me. I'm a bit croaky this morning. You're Must good. Been all the serenading I was doing last <laughs> night. <laughs> You're good and, and a happy Valentine's Day to you. And is, to you. Online is the way now. Are the old ways completely gone? Oh God, I hope not. Jeannie, PJ, we're trying to keep the old ways alive. Well, what I say to people is we're like 21st century matchmakers. So it's very modern day matchmaking. Um, And when people come to an agency, they're looking for a relationship. Now, we all know that people meet online and lots of people meet their, you know, partners and wives and husbands online. But a lot of people don't. And a lot of people find that when they go online, there's, there's a lot of people there who are just looking for fun. They're just looking for a fling or as a hookup or whatever they call it now. But when somebody comes to an agency, they're actually looking for love. They want a long-term relationship. So mm. it's a bit more serious, you know, a bit more authentic. Yeah. Some people meet by accident. Some people meet by design. Some people meet through friends. I mean, I'm, the way I met my wife, I, I, I tell this story. She approached me. I was the DJ at a party. She approached me to play a song, and I did. And to thank me for playing the song, she um, she offered to buy me a pint, which she bought me, and I subsequently spilled it down her white dress. 
And it only got better after and that. And it only it? got better after that. <laughs> right, and so. there's lots of people. But though, I think, does does online do away with those those kind of stories and I those don't. kind of very professional meetings, very personal meetings? Yeah, it does. Look, you know, there's good and bad in everything. I mean, I've I've been that person. Um, I was I was the one that was getting out there trying everything years ago because I wanted to meet somebody. And my attitude has always been: if you want something, go and get it. Get up and get out and make it happen. So I was trying everything. I was doing the online and the Tinders, and I tried all those things. Um, and what I found is that. I had some good experiences, but I had a really bad one. And that sort of finished me because I said, no, I'm not taking my my safety for granted anymore. Mm. So it gave me a bit of a scare. And then I actually, believe it or not, typed in to Google safe ways to meet somebody. And lots of things came up. I didn't even know agencies existed. But then I saw an agency and I went in, signed up, did the whole thing and met somebody and went into a long-term relationship with somebody. So... It was from that that they, I got the idea, well, maybe I should set up an agency myself. So I did. And then I suppose as well as that, my background is in psychology. I've always studied human behavior, relationships for more years than I care to remember. And uh, so because of my background and my skills and the fact that I'd had a good experience myself, I said, I'm going to set up Two's company and I'm going to be the one that's going to bring people together. Mm. Now, and date, 14 years later I'm still doing it good for you, dating has changed I think the, the kind of thing about going into the local shop and uh, always the same young girl or young guy behind the the, 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 the tail and you, you strike up that conversation every morning when you're going to buy, maybe you take away coffee or something listen, by the way you know, you, you fi- what time are you finished? you want to go for lunch? that kind of meeting, is that kind of gone now? it is, I mean we've all become so politically correct and the thing about it is, I find even the younger generation, um, they're not meeting. I had a man rang me recently, and I think he was in his 60s, and he just said to me, my son actually advised me to ring you. And uh, he said, because my son even said that even at his age, and he was in his early 30s, he said, we stay within our own groups, Dad. He said, we don't really mix. If it's not online that we're doing, well, then we don't really connect so he just said to me, well, if there's no hope for the 30-year-olds, what hope is there for me in my 60s? And I said, exactly. Mm. So people are not mixing in the same way. I mean, Irish people have been known to be the most friendly and open people on the planet. And we are, and I hope we never lose that. But think about it. I mean, PJ, if you're in a waiting room or you're on a bus or, you know, a train nowadays, people don't talk to one another anymore. Like years ago, you would have just chatted to the person beside you. Mm. But if you do that now, people think you're odd or are you strange or what are you looking for? So the people are more nervous of that kind of engagement. So we have to be now looking at different ways. Mm. And although the internet is great, and it is, but like if you look at what's happening recently, and I've posted a lot of stuff on Facebook recently, they have this uh, Tinder swindler is on Netflix and this program, and there's loads of scams. Uh, last year, I was invited on RTE News to talk about these the scams that are going on out there and to say that really people need to be careful. So it seems to be something that's happening more and more, yeah. and people have to be careful. So when they come to an agency, I in, in interview everybody, so nobody gets beyond me. If I interview them, I get them to validate their identity. I know they are who they say they are. Mm. And people don't come to an agency 
let's face it, unless they're actually looking for a relationship. We're, as I say to people, we're not so much a dating agency, we're a relationship agency for yeah. people who actually want long term. Yeah. That's what it's yeah. People yeah. are more conscious as well. You, you made the point a while ago. We don't start conversations like we used to. We don't mix no. like we used to. People are quite rightly conscious now of, of who they're talking to. And guys have become very self-conscious as well about starting conversations with maybe women they've never met. And yes. we're all very, are we all very uptight these days? Well, nobody wants to be rejected, you know, and rejection can be very hurtful and it can knock someone's confidence. So if you are going up and approaching somebody, I mean, years ago, you know, fueled by a few drinks, you know, people would. But then the girls nowadays, they don't want to be approached by a guy who's, you know, confidence is fueled by lots of alcohol. Mm. So they, that's kind of gone out now. And if you're in a bar and somebody approaches you and there's a lot of loud music and, you know, too many people find that afterwards they think, oh my God, what, what were we doing? Who was I talking to? Because they realise afterwards that maybe the person was very drunk or maybe all the person was really looking for is a bit of fun. And, you know, that's where I suppose we we sort it out. So we're the filter. We're not we're not approached by people who just want a bit of fun. Obviously, we want them to have fun going out dating, meeting the people that we introduce them to, having a nice time, but with the same objective. So you've got two people on the same page saying, yeah, yeah I want to meet somebody for a relationship. I'd love to have a partner. And it's great when the person's on the same page, but yeah. you you approach somebody or you're approached by somebody in a bar, you don't know really whether they're just interested in a one night, you know, True. bit of fun and that's True. it. And that doesn't do an awful lot for people's yeah. confidence. And unfortunately you know? our trust of one another is gone and in many cases very rightly so. Your your website is, Jennifer? It's choosecompany.ie and www. of course choosecompany.ie okay. and our phone number if anybody would like to ring is 01-430-4017 and we've lots of members okay. thankfully down in Cork uh, all over the country but we've lots of people down in Cork so if anybody's looking for something genuine something authentic and something private which is really important okay. so they're not going public putting up a photograph online it's very private so if they're looking for something more professional, well, certainly give us a, give us a call and we'll have a chat with them and okay. if we can look after them well and good. All right. Choosecompany.ie, Jennifer Haskins, thank you. If you do meet someone, you might bring them for a walk. Uh, a nice romantic walk on a beautiful day like today. It's a bit cold, but it's lovely. Where would you bring them? There's a few nice ones around Cork. Christina Collins joins me. Hi, Christina. Hello, how are you? Good. On Yay Cork, there's some, you've written about some lovely ones. I know the Carrigaline to Crosshaven walk me very well. Wouldn't be so familiar with the Warren Cliff Walk. Where's that? The Warren Cliff Walk. So that is, do you know Warren at all? Do you know Ross Carberry? Oh, I do, yeah. Right, well, it's, um, as you come onto the beach there, there's a left up the hill. And it's just been restored because uh, during the storm, I think, recently enough, Last year, there was a load of the embankment washed away, so it was actually closed to locals and closed for a walk. But there's um, an absolutely beautiful walk up there, up the cliff and down the other side, so that you can actually walk from the Warren Beach in Ross Carberry to Aunahincha. Oh, lovely. Really yeah. nice. Yeah. And a lot of the places you mentioned, Carrick Lancrosshaven, that one, the Lee Fields, Garrett's Town's another super place to go, and Fitzgerald's Park. They've all... 
but one thing that sprouted in, in the pandemic was loads and loads of coffee trucks and little small coffee corners. And they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah there's loads of them around the place and they're lovely because they kind of, I mean, it's nice to, they kind of become a local spot like Lulu's down on the oh, yeah. um, Carrigaline Line one. Um, that's a local spot and people meet, uh, People go for a walk and they go for a coffee after or before they walk so it's kind of a meeting point as well and where you can actually stop, stop and talk to people and ask people who's been, you know, just have that conversation I think because there was a lot of shops and and even coffee shops um, closed during the pandemic obviously they're the ones that were opened first kind of thing but you know, on your walk, I think people went up and talked to the lads or whoever was working inside there, and it was a bit of conversation. And it it kind of feels makes it a bit safer the mm. walk as well. You know, it feels like yeah. there's someone here, there's someone kind of company, even though they wouldn't be with with you at all. You know, they're a start and finishing point. So yeah. it's um, the place isn't entirely kind of, deserted, like. Yeah, yeah, there's just, and you know, they they attract people as well. People like to go where, should we get, get a, we love our, like in Ireland, we love like um, going for a pint or going for a coffee and we love going for a walk. They're all excuses just to meet up, mm. you know? Mm. They're all just like excuses just to walk and talk with each other. So mm. it gives people another kind of activity and there was huge feedback on the page from people as well going, oh, we have to go to four out of five of these or two out of five. So, Mm. Um, yeah, you know, it's a nice activity that everyone can do that there's no, there's no barrier to. The, the Lee Fields was always a big favourite. It was a big, I remember a big favourite of mine and, and the Queen Bee when we were going out together, and that's not today nor yesterday, was to go up the Lee Fields of a summer's afternoon and I'd swim in the, I'd swim in the river. There was a lovely couple of yeah. lovely shallow spots. It was a beautiful place to go. Do you yeah. know? And it still is. Yeah. It is, yeah, and like, um, especially in the summer now, maybe the winter would be a bit too cold because it's very open. Yeah. But the but but summertime or even a nice fresh day like today would still be nice. Like, um, but it's a lovely walk along uh, along the fields there, and uh, you could nearly hop onto Ballincollig if you were feeling very, <laughs> if you were feeling very um, athletic in the mood for yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Listen, great talking to you, Christina. Thank you very much, Christina Collins from Yay Cork. That's a great website, actually. Loads of stuff on it. Stuff you wouldn't think about in terms of Cork news. It's a really positive little website. Yaycork.ie 0818-969696. Ah, look, there's kind people everywhere. Thanks to the girl who helped us putting our oversized trellises into the car at B&Q yesterday. She gave us bungee straps to take them home. Bungee straps, my goodness me. And ran off before I could even say thank you properly. And then we were talking earlier to Anne, the neonatal nurse at CUMH, and she just wanted to mention they're doing a coffee morning for the neonatal to help them buy new equipment. And it's on at Mayfield GA Club having DJ Bertie, Paw Patrol and Easter Bunny. Not too sure when that's on, but we will find out and tell you. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light to shine it, I'll be there. 
The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Hello, Mary. Hello, how are you? How are you, Mary O'Halloran? Are you feeling better? Are you okay? Not too bad, no. Good. Yes. Just getting, trying to get over it now. I know. How's Jerry? He's not too bad. He's still in hospital anyway. No? Yeah. He wasn't too badly hurt though, was he, no? What? Was he, he wasn't too badly hurt, no? No, he wasn't hurt at all. But they, he was so shaking. I know. No? And they took him in. I know. They, they kept him in. But I, uh, I went home. Right. And I, I, I'm looking after my sister as well. I see. No? Yeah. But I goes up to him every uh, Saturday morning and Sunday morning. Right. I, I get the uh, stuff ready for him, for, for his home help. I no? see. And that's what I was doing. And I couldn't get him because the, the fella had the door locked. Yeah. No? Yeah. You must have gotten and, awful uh, frightened. And you? then I didn't mind that. He, they had a knife up to us then. He had a knife up to us. Oh, my goodness. No, a, a, a long knife. Uh, we say a blade in us. Yeah. No? He had it up to my throat, sir. And uh, Jerry's. Oh, my God. You must have... Because uh, he wanted money off us. I know. And yeah. we couldn't do nothing else. No, he did Because he was going to stab us. Oh, my no? God. Oh, my God. You must have got an awful fright, did you? Yeah, we did, no. Yeah, yeah. Because only you now you get a right. Yeah, nearly. Yeah. No? And they had... They had cut the phone line, had they? Yeah, he cut the phone and he took them. Jerry uh, had three bulbs up in the up and and no shades, no, and in the front room, and he took them down off of this thing. Oh no! He took his lights down. Yeah. No. Jerry, did someone say to me that Jerry wants to move anyway, even before this? Yeah, he did. But uh, but he's in he's in no eight years for the transfer. I know. And he's still waiting for us. I know. I no. Know. I know. Like they have to do something now. No. I know. He's and he's he's is he afraid now in the hospital? Yeah, he is. He told, I was talking from there this morning on the phone. Uh, um, in the hospital, the girl left me talking because you'd not let into the world, as you know. Yeah. No, and uh, he he was still shaking. Yeah. Told me. Yeah, it's no? hard, 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 hard to blame him. Come here to me. You between minding him and minding your sister. Yeah. And and you you often visit people in the hospital when you can. You're, yeah. You're, what, what what age are you, darling? What? What age are you? What so age are you? If I do, mind me asking. You. I I'm eighty-four. Eighty-four. Uh, I'll be 85 in September. Right. And I look after my sister and I look after my brother. I right. calls up to my brother to see if he's all right. Has, has, anyone, has anyone called to see you all right? No. 
there's nobody called to me. And are you on your own at home or are you just... No, my sister's with me. Right, okay. No? You know, they got a lot of money, they took a lot of money. Yeah, 800 off my brother and a thousand off of me. Oh my goodness. Well, do you know that the, the very nice paramedics... Yeah. ...who looked after you at the scene... Yeah, that's great, thanks. They, they set up... Huh? They set up a GoFundMe for yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. Do you know how much is there? No. Mary? No. There's €21,252 there, Mary. Thanks very much. That's no. from the people of Cork. Yeah. Thank you. And that's still going up, Mary? Yeah. All right. Listen, would you ever tell Jerry that we're thinking of him? And I will. I'll yeah. tell him. What's your name? My name is PJ. You're oh, PJ. Oh, yeah. You're very... Yeah, I was talking to us name all right this morning above you t- in yeah. uh, Voices Week. Um, yeah. What's his name? I don't, oh, uh, I don't know. Whoever... Did someone call to you this morning? Yeah. You were t- oh, and, Paul, and Paul then, from the telly. There, yeah. there was, uh, they were taking photographs again ah, on me. No. Paul, that's Paul from the telly. Yeah. An old pal no. of mine. So... I know. Listen, you look after yourself and look after... Your sister and give are Jerry you? our very, very best. All and right, are you, thanks very I mean, have much. you have you someone looking after you, Mary? All right, thank have you. you thanks, oh, Mary. Bye. Take care of yourself. Fair play to you. That's Mary O'Halloran, eighty-four years of age. Should be eighty-five in September. She spends her time looking after her sister and looking after her brother Jerry, who's seventy-nine. And some thug broke into Jerry yesterday morning, held the two of them. At the end of a knife, took hundreds of euro, not thousand, couple of thousand euro, all the money they had, cut the phone line, took out the light bulbs, held them at knife point. Jerry's in hospital now. He's all right, but he doesn't want to go home. He doesn't want to go back there. He's been trying to get out of it for a few years. What do you do for that? What do you do there? And fair play to Keith. Keith was the paramedic. Um, who who started the GoFundMe? Uh, it is when we started this morning, uh, just after nine o'clock. It was at thirteen thousand euro, and just I'll just hit this button now, and there's now twenty two thousand one hundred and fifty seven euro in that GoFundMe. If anybody would like to help, we've posted it on our Twitter. Uh, you can look at GoFundMe. Life savings stolen at knife point, and there's a photograph of Jerry and, and Mary. You just don't know what to say, do you? You don't know what to say. I mean, the most vulnerable people, an elderly brother and sister, held at knife point. Where do you even start? And you know what'll happen, right? And hopefully they'll get him. Hopefully they'll get him. But what'll happen is it'll go into court and someone will do the hand-wringing bit and the Ashaga help us bit. <sighs> now, yesterday we were talking about... Or the other day, was it Friday? Friday. We were talking about the whole cost-of-living package and the price of petrol and the price of diesel and we were having a good old uh, chinwag here with Minister Michael McGrath on Friday morning, but a very thoughtful uh, post on Twitter from Miriam. We were talking about the the 20% reduction in public transport fares, which, as I said to the Minister, is a great idea. 
when you have public transport. When you can avail of public transport, that's a super idea. But something we'd forgotten about. Uh, Miriam, it's of no use to you. And why? Good morning. Hi, good morning. So, yeah, um, I obviously saw the 20%, which is totally welcome for anybody that gets public transport. But um, something that I'm aware of from personal experience and some other people that are obviously aware of as well is that there are people out there that do rely on public transport as their only means of transport. And um, when I saw that 20%, it was great news. But for those of us that can't drive due to epilepsy, um, we wonder why that can't be all the time, basically. Do you not have free travel because of your epilepsy? You should have. So um, I sent you some information on um, Friday when you contacted me. And there's 70% of people who do have epilepsy can drive, um, but there's 30%. Um, this is according to epilepsy.ie, that won't be able to drive. Mm. And of those 30%, there is a percent, a very high percentage of them that due to being over 66 or having other underlying medical conditions, they may not be able to work. So they do have some sort of welfare payment and that free travel is linked to your welfare payment. Yes. So for me and from the for the small percentage, which they think is around 5,000 people, um, we can work, so we can go about our days, thankfully, as normal, but we do pay full price for getting around the place, and sometimes that's not always the easiest thing to do. Sure. So, um, like, take today, for example, I'm delivering a three-hour workshop, but my public transport time for that is going to be about three and a half hours right. on top of that time. Oh, really? Yeah. And and do you mind me asking you, Miriam, like... Mm-hmm. What element of your, of, your, of your epilepsy means that you can't drive? I know that so, so, many, yeah. many people um, can. There's lots of reasons. So um, the main reason is if you've had a seizure in the last year, you're not able to drive in most cases for 12 months. Sure. So I'm lucky. I live really close to a train line. I can get public transport anywhere I need to go. And I do have people that I can rely on if I need to get somewhere else. So I do have those supports in place. But imagine someone that might be living in the country. They might have kids. They might be a single parent with kids. Then suddenly they have a breakthrough seizure for the first time. Like I was in my 20s when I had my first one. It came out of nowhere. Um, My last one came out of nowhere. There was a big... There was several years gap and there was no warning signs. Um, So, like, obviously I can't drive now for um, 12 months. I wasn't driving by choice before that, so I have that whole public transport system down. I know where I need to go to get where I need to go. But for those people that are caught out, suddenly you have to change your entire life and it can be expensive. So if you are living away from public transport, you might have taxis or other means that you're going to have to use to get to work. Sure. So th- we are working. Sure. Um, we are lucky we can work. Um, having seizures doesn't mean that you can't work sure. in a lot of cases. Sure. But the time to commute and the cost yeah. can obviously take away from what you earn. For, for, for the sake of it, until such yeah. time as you can drive again, should yeah. you choose to drive, 
Yeah. A free travel pass would be a great benefit yeah. to your life. Listen, Miriam, it's a, it's a whole insight into something we don't think about because it doesn't come to our door, I guess. That's Miriam Walsh. 5,000-odd people with epilepsy are not allowed to drive because they've had a seizure within the last 12 months, so there may be other elements to their epilepsy. Um, it's worth thinking about. Thanks, Miriam. Did you know, by the way, the patron saint of epilepsy is who? Who would you think? Would you know? I'll tell you in a minute. Hang on. Let me go here. The Corks 96 FM Cash Cow. With Man Point for fashion, film, food, and fun. Don't wait till the cows come home. Get moving to Man Point. See manpointsc.ie. Now, Miriam, don't, or beg your pardon, Melissa, Melissa Allen and Carrigline, don't give us the password. I know you've given it off air, so we know that you have it, but don't do any spoilers for people because we're not allowed to give it again. You want to play the cash cow with us? I am. <laughs> All right, day one. You know how this works, don't you? Yeah, I was listening this morning, yes. Okay, so what's going to happen is I'm going to let off the clock and you're going to hear various amounts of money. If at any time... You want to just say, take the cash, or I'll take it, then you take it. If you want to move on, you move on. But remember the golden rule, Melissa. If the cow moves, you lose. Okay. Okay? Now, there's only a few seconds here. You'll hear some amounts. You can hold, or you can move on. But if the cow moves, moves, you lose. Let's go. Here we go. 250 euro. What do you want to do, Melissa? 250. Uh, I'll take it. You'll take it? Quick as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were wise. You were wise. You were very wise. <laughs> 250 quid. That's how quick it is, huh? That's nice That's and handy. Brilliant. That'll make a great Valentine's Day for you now. I will. Thank you. Thank you All right, put you back on to Fiona there. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. All right. You could have won if you'd stayed, by the way. You could have won 300. But there you go. Melissa Allen in Carrigaline, my first winner on the opinion line with the cash cow. Thousands and thousands of euro to give away. See how much moolah you can milk for the 96FM cash cow. You get the password in the mornings with Casey and Ross. And then across the day, you get your chance to play. It's the Corks 96FM cash cow with Mahan Point. Catch a movie. Explore over 60 stores and shop till the cows come home on Thursdays and Fridays. Mahanpointsc.ie And of course the cash cow only on Cork's 96 FM And remember the phrase Remember the warning If the cow moves, you lose Speaking of Mahanpoint actually I was down there yesterday Went down to see a movie As it were Down to see And Crossy was on the, uh, the show here a couple of weeks ago Ranting and raving about how brilliant it is And he's so right Sing too I went down yesterday with the umfala With a couple of few more in tow. Queen Bee was with me as well. We all went down. It is a joy. A joy from start to finish is Sing 2. Absolute joy from start to finish. Although, can I say one thing? If you are bringing kids to the cinema as you would be to something like Sing 2, would you, for God's sake, don't be letting them kick the chairs in front of them. Please? Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie. Let's go! We 
roll out the biggest hits weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96 FM. The Hit Mix. Hits from the best music mix. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Weeknights, 8 till late. Only on Cork's 96 FM. The patron saint of people with epilepsy is St. Valentine. Did you know that? Well, you do now. St. Valentine, as well as being the patron saint of love, and today being the day, St. Saint Valentine is the patron saint of people with epilepsy. 0818 96 96 96. Well, if today is St. Valentine's Day, tomorrow, I think, is Singles Appreciation Day. Gian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Why do singletons need their own day directly after St. Valentine's Day, tell me? (laughs) (laughs) I think because they're triggered (laughs) by Valentine's Day. You know, all their friends and co-workers kind of showing their pictures on Instagram about all their plans and their presents. It can be a little depressing for them, so they kind of needed their own day. Yeah. Are are some people single by choice, or are they... You know, stuck in a moment they can't get out of, as you two once wrote. You know, it's funny. Uh, um, There are some people who really are just determined to be single, and that's cool. But I would say the majority of people that I talk to who are single really don't want to be. They really would like a partner. They just don't want to settle for you know, someone who can't be a partner to them. And that's where they get frustrated. They can't seem to find that person. What's your own story? Do you mind sharing me? Sharing with me? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. So when I was looking for a partner, I had had a bunch of very bad breakups and I had to do a lot of soul searching about, um, you know, why was I attracting, you know, so many bad relationships and also settling for them, you know, and I had to realize that's my fault and my responsibility to change that. So I went through this two-year process of working on myself and studying with dating and relationship masters and also, you know, seeing a life coach um, that helped me a lot too. And then when I uh, put myself out there on online, you know, I was showing confidence and I was showing fun, but for some reason I was showing um, like that I wasn't really serious about a relationship. I didn't realize that. So I was attracting a lot of young guys. <laughs> I was kind of an accidental cougar, you know, I, I didn't <laughs> anticipate. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and it was really funny because I didn't really think of myself as even cougar material because I was in my, I was in my mid 40s. So I guess that could qualify. But, you know, I was 23 stone. I was quite fluffy and I had a very strong personality, which a lot of people said, oh, no man's going to want that, you know, so I had, (laughs) I thought my dating pool was a little tiny puddle. So it's no wonder why I wrote my, my profile kind of safe, but when I realized all these wrong guys were coming in, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be honest about what my dating agenda is. I'm going to 
just come out of the closet and say that I want to get married mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that I'm, you know, I like going to drag shows and I have all these other different kinds of interests and what my boundaries are and all this stuff. And I found a clever way to write all that. So it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the very next day, the whole slew of men that were coming in was completely different. It was all men wanting to get married who had similar goals and visions. And one of them was my husband. Ah, how cool is that? How cool is that? So (laughs) you've got, now you've set up coaching other singletons maybe to get, to get out of their, out of that zone and maybe find someone. So you've got an event tomorrow night. It's a webinar. Yeah. Yes, it's a free webinar and it's about mastering self-love kind of like I did so that you can be in a better position to attract the kind of soulmate partner that you're really looking for. A lot of the people who come to me are, you know, successful, uh, but they feel like being successful makes them intimidating. And then there are others who kind of put other people before themselves and they get kind of tired and drained. So I'm, I'm here to teach them how, you know, that fine balance of self-love so that they can attract the right partner. Okay. So how can people get on to your webinar? Well, if they would like to come, it will be tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And it will be at, uh, if you go to mysoulmatecoach.com, there will be a pop-up that will let you register. It's totally free, and it'll be um, about 75 minutes. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with it, and and great chatting to you. Uh, The Soulmate Coach, Jeanne Sullivan, and mysoulmatecoach.com, if you want to get on that particular webinar. Uh, tomorrow night on Singleton's Appreciation Day, the day after St. Valentine's No, I didn't know either. The day after St. Valentine's Day. 0818969696. John says, I bought my wife a fine clock for Valentine's. She asked, was it to keep track of time? We were in love. I said, no, it's so you'll know what time to expect me home from the pub. She threw it in the bin. <laughs> Blame her. Yeah, a lot of people very upset. Listen to Mary. Catherine says, my heart was crushed. We know what it's like to live in fear, but for a poor woman of 84... It's just horrific. Then someone's saying, look, we couldn't endorse this, but I guess the feeling is out there. The guards will want to catch and charge whoever it is fairly fast because if people catch up with him, they'll have a right mess on their hands. Well, can't endorse that because see how people would feel that way. Right, you might want to sit down tonight and watch a romantic movie. Rachel. Hello, my darling. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm sitting here in Tuscany by the beach. Just about to go on my walk, and it's a stunning morning down here in Cove. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Now, you've got to watch something other than Peppa Pig tonight, like. I know. <laughs> the joys of having a young child. And um, no, do you know what now I'm going to watch is um, actually, Pierce told me about it in 96, is The Lake House mm-hmm. with Keanu Reeves and what's her name? Sarah, Sandra Bullock. She'd be one of my favourites now, but I've never seen this movie. I've never seen this movie. I mean, they're living in two, they're two years apart or something. It's all a bit strange. Wouldn't be my favourite. Well, it wouldn't be because, they, you know, he's living two years ahead of her or behind her. I'm not sure if so he's like a ghost. But I'm going to give it a go. Um, and Dirty Dancing, Dirty Dancing, PJ. I mean, that has to be one of the all-time favourite, the most romantic movies out there. Well, if for nothing I, else, for the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. I clean my house to it on a Sunday. And then there's The Notebook. The Notebook is lovely. And when I had the acting school, we did a lot of scenes from The Notebook. Um, it's the elderly couple in the house or, or in the nursing home. She's got dementia. So he's gone to the nursing home to live there as well to be with her. And he reads from this notebook 
about their lives together and then it goes back to when they were younger and it's just the most romantic movie um, about love, you know, and sticking with each other. It's beautiful. There was a one I remember to Ghost. Yeah, Pierce and Fergal like Ghost as well. I, I wasn't, I mean, I get it, but yeah. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't romantic enough for me. <laughs> oh come on! That scene. At, that scene at the Potter's Wheel. I know that's the famous scene. Yeah, I was just wondering where we're going to get a bowl or a cup out of it. I wasn't. It, it wasn't for me. But I. I kind of like the real stuff. That's why I like the Notebook because I think romance. You know, it doesn't have to be dinners and dressing up. It can be something really basic, like cutting out coupons on a Saturday to go shopping. Mm. Just sticking with each other through the hard times, the good times. And that's what the notebook is about. Yeah. You know, it's about sticking with each other. You're, go- you're going to give that one a go tonight. What about something like a- another classic when Harry met Sally? Well, I think we all remember that for other reasons, CJ. <laughs> yes. That, that was, did you not think that might have been why I asked you about it? <laughs> That will be forever bedded in all of our minds. Indeed. Um, and do you not think that's why I asked you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought she was magnificent, and I take my hat off to her too for that scene with all of the crew around her. She was brilliant. But I mean, there. But that's a great movie. That's a classic. Like you Absolutely. Say. Listen, Rachel. Have a good day. Enjoy your walk. It's windy out there, but thank you for being with us. That's Rachel. Sarah Murphy recommending the lake. Well, Pierce McCarthy recommends the lake house. I've I've never seen it, but Kenna Reeves and. And Sandra Bullock can't be bad. All right, that's it. Whatever you do tonight, enjoy each other's company. Just to let you know, before we go, the fundraiser, the GoFundMe for the O'Hallorans. The GoFundMe, let me hit this button and I'll tell you, or the Harringtons rather, is now €23,912. When we came to air, it was 13000 at 9 o'clock. So in three hours, it's gone up 10,000 for those. It's the O'Hallorans. The O'Hallorans, I beg your pardon, the O'Hallorans, yeah. Because, listen, we're getting to the end of the show. It's Monday. I'm tired, but you know what I mean. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Virgil. Have a happy Valentine's Day with whoever you spend it. See you tomorrow just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.